There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Yes, yes. Welcome into the Tim McKernan Show. I am your host, Tim McKernan, alongside uh, the producer of this fine presentation, John Seymour, a.k.a. The Seamaster. Welcome in for another edition of the podcast. So I know a lot of the discussion over the last, I mean, really, you can go back a year, but in particular over the last few weeks uh, have been on the NFL protests. And when I had a chance to sit down with former Senator Jack Danforth, we discussed those protests, got his perspective. And my thought process on the discussion is oftentimes people who are participating in the discussion, at least the discussions that I am usually involved in, are most of the time uh, not African-American and most of the time haven't played in the NFL. And so from my perspective, it is optimal, if at all possible, to speak with somebody who has the life experiences of those who are kneeling or protesting during the national anthem. And while getting somebody who might say something incredibly flamboyant, provocative, uh, colorful with their language that would piss off people with a different viewpoint might be quote unquote better uh, radio if you want to call this radio better podcasting whatever you want to call it I don't know better broadcasting more titillating um, it's not the way that I want to try and operate this show uh, I would rather try and listen and understand and be able to ask questions as opposed to do one of those cable news shouting match things. It's just not really what I'm interested in doing. So when I was trying to understand better the perspective of an African-American who has played in the NFL or is playing in the NFL, um, I started to think, okay, who would be somebody that I could just, somebody who I could just have a conversation with and just listen. And then also if I disagree, counter. Um, and as I thought about it, it became very obvious who that person was. A person's Tioka Jackson. Tioka Jackson, uh, was with the Rams for five seasons, uh, including the NFC championship season where the team lost to the new England Patriots in Super Bowl 36. Uh, if you see the famous photo of Adam Vinatieri's kick, it's Tioka's hand that is, oh God, if it's, it's more than two inches away from blocking that kick. I'd be surprised. Uh, and still to this day, anytime we get Tioka talking about it, he gets incredibly fired up in particular uh, about some of the things that the New England Patriots are alleged to have done. Uh, and I always enjoy talking with Tioka. I enjoyed talking with Tioka when I was covering the team for KMOV here in St. Louis, but he has always just been an incredibly 
intelligent and I think fair person to discuss any topic with. And so that's who I reached out to. And that's who we have for you today on the Tim McKernan Show. Uh, Tyoka and I spent about 45 minutes talking about the NFL protests and then really essentially got into a discussion of race relations. And I'd like to think, again, I don't know. You know, I never know how these things are going to be received. Um, But I'd like to think that even if, and this was the goal, even if you just absolutely hate the protests or even if you just absolutely support the protests, I think you'll enjoy this discussion. I think. Uh, Because you'll hear the perspective of somebody who played in the league and who has uh, a father who is in the military, uh, a relative who is, I believe, a Washington, D.C. police officer. And so he's coming at everything from a life experience and a perspective that I think most of the people who are commenting on this do not have. And to me, that's very important to try to understand better. That's where I'm coming from. I'm not trying to heal the world with this podcast. Let me make that clear. But um, I just think that's the most effective way to try and better understand something. So that's that's my perspective on uh, why I re- reached out to Tayoka and what I think you will hear over the course of the next 50 minutes or so in our conversation. And, I, and in this one, I really, 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 I always want to hear feedback, but I really want to hear feedback on this because I think uh, it was it wound up being a good conversation. We agreed on some things. We disagreed on some things, but I'm curious what, what you think. And you're always welcome to email me at tmckernan at insidestl.com to give your thoughts. Uh, positive, negative, ideally it's civil, but uh, I always want feedback on it. Uh, so please reach out and do so. And, and also fun facts for no and tell, as far as getting to some business of the podcast, uh, we now are on our own dedicated feed. So please search for the Tim McKernan show, whether it be on iTunes or whatever podcast platform you use, or just go to insidestl.com. but search the Tim McKernan show and subscribe to it. Uh, I certainly would appreciate a five-star rating if you believe it is deserved Uh, and we will continue to try and build this podcast. Coming up on the other side of the Tioka Jackson interview, uh, we'll tell you who we have on the agenda coming up next on the Tim McKernan Show. I think it's an interview uh, you will be interested in hearing. I also want to make sure that I drive home this point. Without the sponsors of the podcast, the podcast will not exist. And so, therefore, we are very grateful to James Carlton of the State Farm Insurance Agency uh, that he operates in Webster Groves, uh, and of course, Ryan Kelly, our studio sponsors from where we broadcast this presentation. Ryan Kelly, thehomeloanexpert.com. Not just limited to St. Louis, by the way. Ryan Kelly has grown his business because his business is so good. 1-800-991-6494. That's one 800 991 6494 or online at If you are in St. Louis, the number is 314-781-9700, 314-781-9700 or visit thehomeloanexpert.com. Everybody knows that when you want the lowest mortgage rate on the best loan, you go to Ryan Kelly and the Home Loan Expert. But I've seen firsthand how there is so much more to these guys than just getting you the best deal. They love to give back to so many charities in St. Louis. Friends of Kids with Cancer, SSM, Cardinal Glennon, Backstoppers, 
Catherine Cares, St. Patrick's Center, the list goes on and on. That is something that is absolutely important to Ryan Kelly. That's why he's out climbing mountains for charity. He could easily just cut a check. He puts in the work as well. That's the kind of person you're dealing with when we're talking about our studio sponsor here on the Tim McKernan Show, Ryan Kelly and the HomeLoanExpert.com team. 1-800-991-6494. 1-800-991-6494. Or go online at the HomeLoanExpert.com. So, uh, upcoming for you, Tyoka Jackson, the former Rams defensive lineman. I think he spent 11, maybe 12 years in the NFL. Got his thoughts on the protests and also the state of race relations in 2017. Ladies and gentlemen, Tyoka Jackson on the Tim McKernan Show. So the reason I wanted to have you on the show is because I feel like anytime you come on and give a perspective, it opens people's eyes, even if they still come away disagreeing with you. And so from my standpoint, as a white guy who got cut from freshman football, I don't know how well I can truly convey the experience of an African-American who played in the NFL. You know what I mean? There's there's a gap there if you got cut from freshman football and and you're a white guy commenting on what it's like to be an African-American in the United States and also playing in the NFL. So I thought, let's get somebody on who can actually speak to that and also uh, convey the thought process effectively. So that was the, that was my reasoning, sir. And I get it. And, and you know, it's, it, it goes vice versa as well, right? I mean, I didn't grow up the way you described yourself. So your perspective on how you see race relations and how you see how you were raised and the images that were presented in front of you that shaped you um, can be very educational to people like me. So we can have a better understanding of, you know, where you guys come from and where we guys come from in terms, obviously we're both from America, but in terms of the upbringing and culture in which you were raised. And we can find out how things from each of our cultures pushed us away from each other. And then we can find out things that could or could or should bring us together and you know we can certainly help correct misnomers in each uh, person's culture and, that, and that's to me that's the way you grow and, and that's the way uh, people begin to create bonds that can help overcome issues like this yeah man I love just talk I really do when it gets down to it I just love talking and, and essentially listening and I've always respected your opinion even when we were sitting there just asking about like going up against the Miami Dolphins offensive line you know, to something as serious as this topic, you know, 14, 15 years removed from your time with the St. Louis Rams. So so let me start here, Tioka. If you were playing on the D-line for the Rams, St. Louis, L.A., otherwise, whatever the case might be, and the National Anthem were playing in 2017, what would you be doing before a game? Uh, you know, it's a guess, right? Because right. I, I, I Total really... hypothetical. Yeah, because it's, you know, I just have, I bristle when people tell other folks what they would do in a situation. So I'm just, I'm, let me preface it by saying that this is a guess because I didn't, I'm, obviously I'm not playing in that environment. And my per, my perspective now is different because I'm not a player. Uh, so I, it's easier for me to say this, but I think I would be kneeling. Um, and, and this is, and, and I, and I stand right now to this day, I stood, um, a, a, uh, what on Saturday when they played the national anthem uh, for the game that I that I called Georgia Southern uh, versus North uh, New Mexico State. I stood for that, and the reason why I would take the knee is because of the platform that the NFL provides to get to provoke thought in people like you, who whom I may not have the chance to speak to one on one. Right, and that's 
and that's the key. I, I would I would take this action to be provocative. That's what a protest is for. It's to provoke thought and conversation. It is to get your attention and it's to make others uncomfortable. Again, that's what protest is all about. And once you then, your attention is, is commanded and you're asking why the hell are these millionaire athletes doing this? Don't they love our country? What the hell's wrong with them? The next step is to not answer your own question. The next step is to seek answers from those who are a part of the protest or a part of the movement or at least understand it. And then that's where the conversation should begin. So along those lines, one of the things that I feel like gets discussed is, well, what are they protesting? What are the players protesting? What's your answer to that question? Well, that's, that's a, first of all, that's a great question. And I think the answer is different for different players. And I, I, what's really important is that we continuously reset what this is really all about from its genesis. And the genesis is Colin Kaepernick. One guy sat by himself on a cooler with no discussion, with no pomp and circumstances, before all of the memes and the tweets and the sweatshirts and the cool taglines and the hashtags and all of the Facebook posts and IG and all that. Before all of that, there was one guy who sat down because he was unhappy with what he was seeing in terms of police brutality and institutionalized racism within the justice department or justice community, the judicial system. That's, that's what it was about from the beginning. Institutionalized racism within the justice system and police brutality against black and brown people. That's it. And so it has nothing to do with the flag. It has nothing to do with the anthem itself. It has nothing to do with hating America. In fact, it's actually celebrating America by ex execute or exercising the rights that the Constitution allows us to speak freely, to assemble freely, and to have discussions. That's what, what America is all about. And so, you know, I think it's, it's very dangerous when you try to change the narrative as a player or as a fan to something else. And that's one of the things that has happened in the sense that there are many fans who feel like it is disrespecting America specifically, I think, uh, disrespecting those who fought for the country, are fighting for the country, uh, and or law enforcement. What would you say to those people? Well, I would say first, before I respond specifically to what you just asked me, this is, this, just understand that these words are coming from somebody whose father uh, served in the military, is a veteran, whose nephew uh, is a veteran of the Iraq war and, and is a police officer, a federal police officer right now at the U.S. Capitol. This is someone whose brother served as a police officer in Washington, D.C. for over 30 years. This is someone who is literally right now organizing an annual thing where we feed over 200 veterans on Veterans Day for free every Veterans Day in our in my IHOP restaurants. I, I'm someone that has a tremendous amount of respect for people in uniform. If you recall, I saluted after every sack. I was saluting my nephew and, and all of his and all of his buddies fighting a war as I played football for for money. Uh, and if you also recall, I did a lot of interviews wearing uh, St. Louis Police Department hats yeah. and Fire Department hats. 
and because I respect those folks so much. So those are facts. So now, having put that, I'm not saying that to brag or anything like that. I'm just telling you this is the perspective from, from me. And this, this is who I am, and so what I'm about to say is coming from me. So I want to make this clear. The, you have to ask yourself, or anyone who's listening, what are the troops protecting and fighting for? The freedoms and the rights the Constitution lays out. And, and a few of them include freedom of assembly, freedom of the press, and the First Amendment right to speak your mind. That's what they're protecting. In most other countries, they can't do that. And so to say, well, in those countries, they can't do that, so you shouldn't do it here, makes absolutely no sense. That's completely un-American. The people who took up Tiki's torches and marched uh, to say that Jews will not replace us and they will not replace us and white power and all of those things, they have the right to do that. They got a permit to do it, and I fight for their right to do it as well. Now, the problem is, do you equate morally what they were arguing with saying, don't kill black and brown people, please? I mean, are they the same moral stance? But their right to say what they want to say is intact, and they should have it. These players who you speak to who are doing it for the reason that Colin's doing it is saying, listen, we love police officers. We just want our criminals to be treated like your criminals. We want our good people to be treated like your good people. We want our bad people to be treated like our, their bad people. And what I'm saying also is, a criminal police officer should be held accountable. I, I know how to teach my son and my daughters how to stay away from criminals. I know where criminals stay. I know what they look like, know what they walk like, know what they talk like. I can give them the profile. I don't know how to keep them safe when a criminal police officer pulls them over and wants to rough them up or kill them. I don't know how to do this. That makes me, as, as a parent of brown kids, very scared and very nervous. I can keep them away from the criminal element. I don't know how to keep them away from police. In fact, I tell them to go to the police. And so when I, when I see a 12-year-old boy playing in a park by himself and a police pulls up and shoots him in the chest twice, Without saying a word, that makes me nervous. When I see an honor roll student driving away from a party that's gone bad and a police officer gets out of his car and shoots into the back seat and kills the kid, the teenage honor roll student who's brown, that makes me nervous. And it puts in his police uh, report that they were trying to run him over when the body cam shows the, or the dash cam shows the exact opposite, that makes me scared. So what do I do? How do I let you know, you being the public that I don't see every single day, millions of people out there, how do I let you know that this is actually happening and what this means. That's what the protest is all about. Get your attention to start a conversation about how unequal treatment that really is. Now, see, here's the, here's the thing. Again, we're talking about life experiences, talking about, you know, you being black, me being white, you playing in the NFL, me not. Uh, but the other life experience that we can go from is for me, and I would imagine for a large number of the white listeners who are uh, tuned into this podcast, they're saying, I've, I've never experienced what Tyoke is talking about. And because of that, it's not to say it doesn't happen, but because of that, therefore, it is tough for, I think, and I'm putting words in people's mouths, which may not be fair, but I'm speaking essentially for people on this, and I could be wrong. It is tough to go, these people, police officers, who essentially... I, and I think a number of other people, white people listening to, uh, view as allies, 
because we're not criminals. I view them as allies. Just want to make this clear. If something goes wrong, I'm dialing 911 with the quickness. I'm not calling uh, you, Tim. I'm calling 911. Right, I no, I understand, but what I'm saying is, I, so I okay. think at the core of the issue is, I think a lot of people, anytime one of these stories comes up, and of course it's happened in St. Louis two times uh, of, of national uh, renown, and, and, and certainly many more times when it didn't get national attention, but the point being, I think many in the white community go, this just can't be right. They were criminals and they were treated as such. And then they went through a court proceeding and the officer was found not guilty. So this is just uh, this is just it, it, they, they don't I don't think it's viewed seriously because our life experience and I say ours if I'm speaking for all white people, but many people in the white community don't have any of these experiences. And therefore, I think that's why there is a chasm on the perspectives. I get that, and that's that's the reason why the conversation needs to take place. I completely understand exactly what you just said. It's a whole different perspective. I get it. Uh, I, you know, and again, that's why this conversation has to happen. And I really appreciate us doing it right now, and mm-hmm. we need to continue. And it doesn't need to stop when the, the subject matter is no longer sexy or hot. But um, just just a, a quick story about. Uh, for the, because I, I'm with you for the most part. I don't generally experience racism every single day. I have to deal with the thoughts of what happens to me on a daily basis. And was that racism or was that not? That's something that a black person has to deal with on a regular basis when they get treated un, in their view unfairly. But in terms of outward overt racism, I think being who I am and 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 having played at, at a school like Penn State and and that profile and playing NFL and that profile and and then also doing games and all, being on TV, businessman, all that. I think that sort of immune, makes you immune to some of the stuff that goes on with. Uh, some friends and family on a regular basis. So I have to remind myself of what they go through, and that's, again, what these athletes are doing. It, they may not get treated with racism overtly every single day, but people who do. However, I, I was in um, Idaho Falls, Idaho, with uh, Yo Murphy, a former uh, yeah. Rams player, and we were there to do a charity event for a, a local school. And I would say, based on that charity basketball game that we did, the school was probably 98% white. So I'm in town to effectively raise money for white young people, and I was happy to do it. Uh, I, I really am into helping kids. So uh, I'm staying at a hotel and happened to walk down the uh, street to a, a fast food place to get some um, food to bring back to the guys. And so I'm carrying a, a box, burgers or whatever. So I'm in a small box because it was a big order. And I'm walking down the street and a police officer, uh, and I'm cutting across the field to, to make my, my walk shorter to get to the, to the back door of the hotel because I got the key to get in. So I'm walking across the field off of the sidewalk and a police officer pulls up along the sidewalk and gets on his bullhorn and tells me to come here. And I turn around and look, and I'm like, you know, I'm thinking to myself, why? Like, so I turn around, walk towards him, and he starts asking me who I am, what am I doing here, where am I going? And I ask, you know, as I'm beginning to answer these questions, I'm asking, why are you doing this? Why are you calling me back? What, what do you want with me? And he said, well, we had a, a call about a burglary, and you fit the description. Now, I'm just telling you, I, I saw, other than my friends who were there for the charity, I saw maybe one or two other black people in the whole city or town. And none of them look like me. So the the fact that he got a call and I fit the description at that time, 6'3", about 285, I highly doubt. It it was just the point that I think there was somebody big and black walking in a neighborhood that he patrols and that wasn't good for him. Now, 
fortunately, it didn't turn bad when he pulled his revolver out and shoot me in the chest because he didn't have a body cam on back then, and the, the write-up would have been something different. And fortunately, I don't suffer from PTSD, or I don't have a quick temper, and I, just, and I did, was able to control my anger because I was angry, and I didn't say anything that incited him to pull his revolver out and shoot me. But my point is, that's the sort of interaction that happens to a lot of black people, millions of us, actually, on a regular basis. Now, the vast majority of our interactions with police are great, and that, that's the way it should be, and that's the standard. But when the, a police officer then crosses the line and becomes a criminal, he should be treated like that. And it seems like when he's brutalizing and killing brown people, they are not held to that criminal standard. Uh, Tayoka, I'm, I'm curious what you would like to see the result of the protest be. You said what they are about. What would you like to see the result be? I think that it should be increased conversation like we're having now, which I believe, because I believe most people are good regardless of color, that will create a movement to begin to say that the citizens are not going to tolerate criminal behavior from anyone, whether that's a politician, a police officer, a football player, or the average Joe on the street. Criminal behavior will not be tolerated and will be treated equally, regardless of who the victim is or who the assailant is, what they look like, how much money they have, and what gender they are. The, the everyday Jill and Joe will not tolerate this unequal quit, uh, treatment. And then when that happens and that movement starts, it will then become people testifying in front of Congress and putting pressure on their politicians to not stand for it. And then there will be tougher enforcement of the laws that are on the books. And then when people go in front of a grant or when people who are accused go in front of grand juries or being investigated, I should say, because they had not got accused yet, but they, they get investigated and go in front of grand juries, the, the people who sit in the grand jury chairs will be well better informed, will have a better disposition to prosecute criminal behavior regardless of the color of the skin of the accused or the color of the skin of the victim. And then once that happens, you will see that a uh, health care worker who's, who's, who's tending to a mentally ill patient in the street who is is acting out when the police all police comes and he puts his hands up and lays on the ground and says please don't shoot me and they shoot and the police officer shoots him anyway when that happens a grand jury will say we will need to prosecute that police officer for his negligent behavior mm-hmm. that's the sort of i believe grassroots movement will lead to that because that's until the the general public stops standing for something, it will continue. So the name of the game in this podcast existing and this podcast continuing is that those of you who are kind enough to listen also are kind enough to make sure that you support the sponsors you hear advertising on it. And one of the first people to contact me about advertising on the podcast, I think it might have been before we even started, was James Carlton. Uh, James Carlton, who owns and operates the James Carlton Agency uh, of State Farm. James Carlton uh, knows the deal. You are you have insurance already, but why not make the switch to a local business that's a supporter of this here presentation and of the local community and also represents the number one company in the industry, and that is the James Carlton Agency. You can text QUOTE to 314-961-4800. That's 314-961-4800. And one of his incredible team members will reach out 
to you, or you can visit carltoninsurance.net. I visited James and his staff at their offices in Webster Groves a couple weeks ago, and I couldn't believe how many people he had working for him. I mean, he's already grown his business, uh, but that's because of the quality of the business. They've achieved the chairman's circle two years in a row, which is the Lombardi Trophy of State Farm agents. Only two agencies in the St. Louis area can say that, and the James Carlton Agency of State Farm is one of those agencies. Check out their incredible reviews on Facebook or Google. I don't think you'll find many that, that come even close. And when, when you have people getting that excited about insurance, it really says something about the quality of service they provide at the James Carlton Agency. Once again, text QUOTE to 314-961-4800. That's 314-961-4800. And one of his incredible team members will reach out to you or visit carltoninsurance.net. The James Carlton Agency, State Farm, James Carlton. And this is the way to remember. If your insurance costs a leg and an arm, then call James Carlton State Farm. What do you think when you see, and I know you're not in St. Louis anymore, but I would imagine you've seen the protests in St. Louis that have taken place over the last month or so. Uh, what, do you th- what do you think of when you see those protests? I think that, you know, that it's people who are crying out. Protests generally, generally, and not always, but generally are people crying out. I, I believe that the protests in Charlottesville, Virginia, were people crying out. Those are people who have been left behind who happen to be white. They are rural, poor people who are crying out because they have been left behind as well. Now, unfortunately, they've added some uh, uh, white nationalism and superiority to their mix, and it's become something else, where they just think that they're better than Jewish and brown and, and, and immigrant people, which is completely ridiculous. But my point is a protest is generally a cry for help. It's to get people's attention and say, this is wrong, and I need you to take a look at that. And it hasn't changed. The same protests that were taking place in Alabama, uh, in Selma, uh, and in Atlanta, and Stone Mountain, and when their fire holes were being put on people as they marched down the street, it's the same actions. The problem is people are not trying to focus on the underlying issue. They want to demonize the protester, just like they did with Dr. King and all of his followers. Dr. King was the most hated man in America. He's certainly lionized now and put on a pedestal. But if you go back and study history, he was hated. He was being investigated by the FBI and the CIA. Uh, He was the most dangerous man in America. He was a troublemaker. He was a communist who was trying to destroy America. The same things that are being written about Colin Kaepernick. Again, I'm not saying Colin Kaepernick is MLK because he's not. But there is a parallel there. Uh, And so they try to change the narrative of what he was trying to get done. So when, I'm think, when, I see, when I see protests, I want to know what they're protesting about. It's provoking me to think and look deeper, and I hope it's doing the exact same for other people. And one last point, people who see Colin Kaepernick and others kneeling during the anthem as a, an affront to American values and affront to the flag and the, the anthem, let's not forget that uh, he was advised to stop sitting by someone he respected who served and said, listen, you should kneel as a show of respect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you couldn't sit, and you can't kneel. You can't stand with a fist in your air, because then that's a problem as well. So what I've heard is now, go do it in the locker room. Okay, so you want me to protest where no one can see. So you don't have to be confronted with the problems that America has while you're trying to watch black people play football or basketball, or what have you. 
That you just want to go stay, let them stand in the locker room and protest, and not in front of you though, because that then forces you to think, and you just don't want to do that. That's to me un-American. What do you think of those who say, and I've heard this discussion when we have this uh, conversation on our show, or when I'm discussing it on uh, online with people? What do you think of those who say, if I showed up to work and protested? Uh, my boss would fire me, throw me out, whatever the case might be, and 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 then draw that same parallel to NFL players showing up to work and doing something uh, that they are, uh, you know, out of line by protesting. That's right. I would say you're probably absolutely right. There's some things that if if one of my employees did at our IHOP would, that would put their job in jeopardy. There's no question about that. But the question I'm asking is. Are you looking at what's provoking these acts? Why is Colin Kaepernick putting his career on the line? He, he did. He committed career suicide by being the first. He's, he's the quarterback. He's, the, he's the, the face of the franchise, and he's brown, and he decided to do what he did. Ask yourself why. Why would he be compelled to do it? Who would do that? Who would put their career on the line? And why would they do it? So, yes. You have the right – Jerry Jones has the right to cut every player who, who takes a knee doing an anthem from now on. That's his team. He can do what the hell he wants to do with it. The question is, though, morally, he's okay with someone who abused women, who, drive, who drove drunk, who abused drugs. He's okay with completely supporting them. You know, he called the guy who the defensive end, that, whose name I am uh, not recalling right now, Hardy, Greg, Greg Hardy. Hardy. He called him a leader, a leader. He called him a leader, a guy who basically damn near killed a woman using domestic violence. He stood behind him and called him a leader. Yet he will not play someone who is taking a knee to draw attention to police brutality. I would ask you, is there anybody who's in favor of police brutality? I would think in your listening audience, no one raised their hand when I asked that. So if you're not in favor of police brutality, why would you not be in favor of people who are protesting against police brutality? So let me ask you this. Do you think Colin Kaepernick will ever play in the NFL again? No, I don't. You don't? I don't. And, and that was obvious to me as they began to sign guys. There are probably 12 starting quarterbacks in the NFL that he's better than, and he's better than 100% of all backup quarterbacks in the NFL. There's no backup quarterbacks in the NFL who led their team uh, to a Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. They, there aren't any there. Um, so, you know, or, you know, it's just they're not there. So, yes, he will never play again. And certainly, um, again, I was already convinced of that. But now it's even more evidence now that he's filed this uh, collusion lawsuit. It's not going to happen. Do you think uh, there's a merit to that collusion suit? And how do you think that will play out? Is there, is there merit? Absolutely. I, there's no question. I mean, come on. There's, there's 32 guys who sit together and talk. You think they didn't talk about, I'm not signing them. You signed them? No, I don't think that'd be a good look. I don't think anybody should sign them. Be pleased. Of course that happened. Now, proving it. It's a whole nother ball game, right? I mean, I learned, I'm not an attorney, but I'm learning from that movie. It's not about what's, what's true. It's about what I can prove. So yeah, I, I don't know how he's going to prove it, but that's what Mark Garagos is charged to do, and he'll get paid well for it. But the bottom line is, did I think it happened? Please, there's collusion all the time. But let me play, let me play out the hand here and see where you are on this, because you're a business owner. I'm a business owner. So let's just play out the hand. I'm curious where you come down on this. 
They view Kaepernick not necessarily as one of the top 32 quarterbacks in the league, uh, i.e. a starter for each team in the league, and maybe some people would say he, he would certainly be a starter in the league at this point. And maybe they view him as one of the next best 32. But when they analyze the, the need for the backup quarterback versus the downside that they believe their business, even though it's a football team, their business will experience by bringing him in they would rather go with somebody who might not be as good, but isn't going to bring the scrutiny that Colin Kaepernick would bring. How do you consider that to be wrong in general, or how do you view it? I consider it to be a, a viable football uh, thinking process. I just think that how much you're weighing someone who's asking for unarmed black people to stop being killed by police officers, how much you're weighing that negative to me is immoral. Well, I get that, but, 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 and I get that, and I think even the owners. I think most. I mean, who knows? I don't know. I can't be inside of the head of the owners. It isn't fair for me to to speak on behalf of them, but. They, they may have no problem whatsoever. Hell, they might even support his cause, isolated in a vacuum, his cause. Yep. But as business owners, feeling like they're bringing a bunch of uh, attention, potential negativity to the locker room with media scrutiny, and then what would go on around it with their fan base, even if they support his cause, feeling like it wouldn't be in the best interest of the business to bring in a backup quarterback that would lead to that. Oh, I agree. I agree. There's a value prop proposition that, that they've weighed. I think there is a percentage of the owners who, as soon as he took the knee, his name was scratched off virtually or literally off their free agent signing uh, pro uh, possibilities immediately, an X amount of percent of that. Then there's another percent, uh, uh, who I, probably a larger percent, who is doing what you just said. Uh, and it's a value proposition mm -hmm. and weighing it. And I agree that that's probably for the majority of teams what's happened. Um, but again, that's just a guess in terms of the number. So, and so I shouldn't speculate like you in terms of the number. Their, their owners, I believe, are doing that. Again, though, I have, we have evidence of people who had gone astray legally and morally who were given multiple chances. That's where the argument sort of breaks apart. Drug abusers, drug offenders, uh, violent abusers, uh, domestic violence uh, uh, provocators. These are all people who, you know, Michael Vick, you know, who killed dogs. Um, you know, uh, Ray Lewis, who, who was uh, charged with murder and later convicted of um, obstruction, I believe. Um, you know, these are people who were given multiple chances. And so... What's Colin Kaepernick's crime? Colin Kaepernick's crime is asking people to take a look at police brutality. That's his crime. So, yes, there's a value proposition being weighed. I just think that it's immoral. And it would take a, it would take a leader in that uh, ownership box. It would take a, maybe even an activist in the ownership box to say that I'm going to step forward and do the right thing. But that's not the narrative that's coming out, though, Tim. I, the, the, the narrative that's coming out from most of these owners is it's a football thing, and he doesn't help our football team. Right. Now, I understand that. I understand that. And that, that would be a public statement that would conflict with what we would be talking about would be going on internally. I realize this is opening up a whole different discussion, but I, I'm curious what your opinion is. Do you believe race relations in the United States 
are better or worse than you were playing than when you were playing in the NFL? I think they're the exact same. I disagree with people saying it get, it's gotten worse. It's just that Twitter and Facebook and Instagram is around. Yeah. And so it's in your face. And so it makes you more uncomfortable. But I, I don't think it's any different. It's probably slightly better, to be quite honest with you. It's probably slightly better. But the, the bad stuff gets so much play, as it should. It sort of feels bad, worse. Uh, but there's no question that race relations – a decade, two decades, three decades ago, it's better now. It's just that there's an unawareness that now is being people are being made aware of. I think because of you know our president, our last president before the one now was African American. <clears throat> excuse me for a lot of people that was a uh, a watershed moment. Well, race relations is great, and and you know this is as good as it gets. Well, there's still unarmed people who are getting killed by police officers. Uh, and, and it's and no one's getting prosecuted for it. There's still black on black crime in poor areas that is out of control. You know, uh, Chicago is like a war zone. And I know there's a cer- se- certain segment of your listenership who thinks that black people are savages and predisposed to killing each other. Well, that's crazy. But that, that's so I'm, I'm setting them aside because I'm not talking to them. Those people uh, need to just go away and never be heard from again. But the people who are trying to figure out why that is, you know, it, that you have to look at sociology and economics and the impact of those two things and psychology and the poorest people and the most disenfranchised people hurt each other. More white people kill each other than black people kill white people. And generally, poor, disenfranchised white people are the ones committing crimes. And it's the same way, generally, the ones who create crime in the black community are poor, disenfranchised white people. So, you know, these are all things that are starting to come, uh, become more aware because of social media. And that's why it feels, in my opinion, that things are worse than they ever were. And I just don't believe that's the case. I just think that just more people become aware of it. I think that analysis is right on target. And honestly, I, I was expecting you to say, ah, oh, they're the same or maybe worse. But I think highlighting the fact that we see the worst of the worst and then an article is written where somebody isolates one tweet and we mistakenly, I think, go, oh, that represents thousands or hundreds of thousands of people, when in reality it was one guy or one girl <laughs> tweeting something, and then it, then it, it highlights that uh, when it's not really representative of the mindset. Or I, or I would add also, when one police officer does something bad and it gets highlighted, then you get other idiots saying all police officers are this and that. That's, mm-hmm. a, that's a complete joke. Well over 90-whatever percent of police officers are the best, most professional people who I would love to be friends with and have my kids look up to. That, that's, that's not the question. And that's the standard, by the way. That's the way they should be. And they mostly are. Overwhelmingly, they are. It's just that when someone becomes a criminal, they should be treated like one. That's all. Tyoka Jackson, always, always, always a pleasure to talk with you, sir. Hopefully, uh, our conversation gave some people perspective uh, because again, like I said, I don't know. I, I wanted to hear your experience as an NFL player and your thoughts on what's going on uh, to try and understand it better for myself. So that's the reason I wanted to get on the phone, and I appreciate you taking time out of your morning to join me. Well, before you go, you got to give me your perspective. What's your opinion on the the protests that NFL players and other athletes are engaging in? Um, I understand it. I feel like here's what I think because because I'm also coming at it from, and I don't know how well-versed you were with what took place in Columbia, Missouri in November 2015, 
with the football team nearly boycotting uh, a game because of a hunger strike. The, the, Gary Pinkle, the head coach at the time, uh, that that scenario that came two years after Ferguson, if I'm not mistaken. And, if I know, and, and was it and the, and the reason was because of the same topic, police brutality? Uh, no, the reason was because of uh, very unhappy of. Uh, part of the African-American student body at the University of Missouri felt like the president of the university at the time was ignoring the numerous issues they said were taking place on campus that were racist. Um, okay, I remember. I recall. Okay. Now. Yep, yep. So this was November 2015. And so what I feel like has happened, and I'm, I'm, so I'll start with that. I felt like the person, and I could be wrong on this, but you're asking my opinion, so I'll give my opinion. Mm-hmm. I felt like the person at the time, his name was Jonathan Butler, I felt like he was a demagogue, so to speak. And I felt like, but just because he was a demagogue, i.e., in my opinion, somebody who wanted the attention of becoming some 21st century version of Martin Luther King, but didn't necessarily live up to the characteristics of Dr. King, mm-hmm. uh, th- that doesn't mean that you throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak. In other words, the cause may have been legitimate. The leader of the cause I call into question, but because people were starting to find flaws with him, then they mm-hmm. dismissed the entire cause, which I thought mm-hmm. was wrong. So I thought there was wrong on both sides of it. What I feel like has happened, and perhaps it leads to, at least in some capacity, the election of President Donald Trump is, I feel like there has been an overcorrection, so to speak, of initially back in the 1990s, 2000s, it's like, oh my God, this guy is clearly a racist. This guy is clearly practicing discrimination. We cannot have that. To now, if someone says something that is off color, that person gets labeled as a racist and their career can be destroyed. And so I think, and again, this is me simply theorizing, I think that some of what you have seen is a backlash from some, it seems to be, middle-class, give or take, members of the white community who feel like they are being labeled racist when in reality it's not like they thought Donald Trump was the greatest. They just thought that Hillary Clinton was no good. Or they felt like Donald Trump was finally, quote-unquote, standing up for them, i.e. getting tired of the political correctness and then when they vote for Donald Trump, they felt like, oh, I just got labeled a racist and I don't believe there's a racist bone in my body. And so I think it pours gasoline on the fire. So even though I did not vote for Donald Trump, I can't imagine a scenario in which I would vote for Donald Trump, me personally. Um, I try to understand how it all came to pass. And I try to understand, which is why I'm having the conversation with you, because I'm trying to understand it, not pass judgment, but understand it. And so I look at some of these things and I feel like It's an overcorrection when oftentimes there isn't racism. But again, that's coming from somebody who's a 40-year-old white man who hasn't really experienced any form of racial discrimination in my life. But I'm trying to understand how this has all come to pass. Personally, I don't believe Donald Trump exists if Barack Obama wasn't elected. I I absolutely don't believe that's the case. And that's not—it's just—it's an observation. Somebody can agree with it, disagree with it. I'll probably get hate mail about it, but that's— that's truly how I feel. I believe that was a was a byproduct of, of President Barack Obama, who I hold personally in the highest of esteem. But I think, again, it goes back to overcorrection. And I think that is what you have some backlash to, a perception of, wow, I just got called a racist and I just happened to not like Hillary Clinton and I thought she was a criminal. And that's why I voted for Donald Trump. 
And now all of a sudden you're labeling me as a bigot because I voted for Donald Trump. And I think that rubs a lot of people the wrong way. Now, I'm sure he tapped into some bigotry. Don't get me wrong. But I don't think all 50 million or so people who voted for him were racist either. And so I yeah, think there's, I, I think I there's a backlash that, to that. That's, yeah, that's not the case. Now, when you see players kneel during the anthem, do you feel like they're being disrespectful to the flag or the troops? No, I don't. I don't. I, and that, that's never crossed my mind. And I feel like Tioka, I feel like that is more of, and I could be wrong on this, I feel like that is more of, I don't like it, so therefore I'm going to justify why I don't like it, which is, I just don't like it, by mm-hmm. saying it's disrespectful to troops. For example, you know, 50, 100 years ago, segregation was justified by trying to pull some line out of the Bible. And then 50 mm-hmm. years later, uh, denouncing homosexuality was done by justifying it by pulling some line out of the Bible. It seems like as opposed to just saying, man, I sure don't like gay people or man, I sure don't like black people. I'm going to justify it by saying this is in the Bible or I'm going to justify it by saying your protest is insulting to those who fought for our country or insulting to police officers opposed to just saying, I don't like seeing athletes protesting. That's what I think. I think it's a, in my opinion, again, I'm sure for some people that's the case, but for the majority, it is my opinion of they just don't like it. And so that is the way to justify dismissing it. I think personally, it's healthy to have conversations, even if it's with somebody I disagree with, or even if over the course of this conversation, we would have disagreed with each other. I, because I want to understand the, uh, the perspective of somebody who has a different life experience. How can I possibly pontificate on what it's like to be an African-American in the NFL when I never, when I'm a white guy who didn't play in the league? So it's, it's in my best interest to understand it by talking to an African-American who played in the NFL. And that was the logic of getting, getting on the phone with you. And, that, and, and to me, that, that just speaks to you, the type of person you are. Uh, and that's what I want other folks to, to do as well. You, you, I know when you when you see people protesting in the way that they're protesting, it's making you go, what the hell are they doing? Why are they doing that? Just don't answer the question yourself. It's a good chance that you don't have the insight in what they're doing in their mindset to be able to answer the question yourself. It, that's I think that's at the crux of it as well. People are answering their own questions, and that is that stifles growth. You have to be able to, to listen to other people with other perspectives, and I, and I respect you for doing that. And, and my last thing before we go is just, just, just think about this. 49 years ago today, Tommy Smith and John Carlos raised their hands uh, during the national anthem with a black glove on it, their fists, I mm-hmm, should say, mm-hmm. uh, during the ceremony, the uh, gold medal ceremony, 49 years ago. And they were demonized for it and called communist, anti-American, uh, and disgraceful and disrespectful back then. And, the, and we're still protesting now, just from a logical standpoint. Listening to me, someone who was college graduate, who went to uh, a mostly white college and loves my college as much as anybody loves them and played the National Football League and made money and, and honestly living the American dream. I'm living the American dream. That's the truth. All right? And I'm so fortunate and I worked my ass off to be able to do it. And I'm still saying the same things that Tommy Smith and John Carlos did 49 years ago when they raised the fist. Just from a logical standpoint, shouldn't you just want to take a closer look and open yourself up to a perspective other than 
You're a complaining, lazy person who just needs to work harder the way that former coach of the Bears did uh, in his radio interview who just basically said, if you're willing to work hard, racism hasn't existed for 100 years, is what he said, Ditka. And racism hasn't existed for 100 years. So he he missed the whole 60s and 50s and Jim Crow and all of that. Uh, You know, he missed all of the, 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 uh, uh, the, the fire hoses being turned on to people, the dogs being let out on people. He missed all of that. And he said, you just need to be able to work hard and you, you'll get what you want. I did all of that and succeeded, and I'm still telling you racism is a, is a problem for most black people in America. Just take a look at it, please. Tyoka Jackson, always enjoy talking, man. I always enjoy it. Thank you so much for spending time giving your perspective, and I really enjoyed the conversation. The pleasure is mine, man. I feel the same as mutual. Let's do it more. Well, absolutely. I look forward to that. <laughs> Tyoka, thanks so much, man. Take it easy. Thanks, bud. Take care. So there it is, Tyoka Jackson with us here on the Tim McKernan Show. As we broadcast from the Ryan Kelly Home Loan Expert Studios, I really enjoyed that conversation. Kind of a weird spot there where I'm getting ready to do the, the sign-off. Uh, you've said it all, as Howard Stern always likes to say as he's wrapping up an interview. And, uh, and that's where I was. Tyoka, you've said it all. And then he goes, hold on, what do you think? So all of a sudden the tables returned, but then it got us into a whole other line of discussion. Um, so just, I've always found going back, I guess, 16 years now in interviewing Tyoka Jackson, that even if I disagree with them, the way he states his perspective, uh, a makes you pay attention as opposed to turn them off, but B, um, opens at least my eyes to at least considering a perspective. And that's why I wanted to have him on. Like I said, I, I wanted to get insight on the protests, see where he was. I didn't know where he was on the protests and then his rationale for whatever position he would take. And, and clearly we got into a variety of other topics as well. And I welcome you, as always, uh, whether it be for guest suggestions, whether it be for interest in advertising on the show, and whether it be just for feedback, positive or negative on the show, to email me at tmckernan at insidestl.com, T-M-C-K-E-R-N-A-N, at InsideSTL.com, Tyoka Jackson, who spent five seasons with Rams, uh, 11 seasons in the NFL, and is now broadcasting on ESPN. Kind enough to spend about 50 minutes with us here on the show and give us his perspective on a variety of topics relating to the NFL protests and race relations in 2017 from somebody who spent that time in the NFL and uh, also has a father who spent time in the military, a father who passed away, and he's paying homage to all this month on social media. Uh, and uh, I believe a nephew he made reference to who is a police officer. So that's the perspective of Tyoka Jackson, and I certainly hope you enjoyed it. Uh, coming up on the Tim McKernan Show, uh, our next interview that you can look forward to, uh, if you subscribe via iTunes or any other podcast platform, it'll just pop into your phone on Monday, October 23rd, 2017, is a sit-down interview with Cardinals President of Baseball Operations, John Mazalak. Uh, I will be heading to his office along with the Seamaster, and uh, he said, how long is this going to take? I said, eh, kind of about an hour. And he goes, okay, let's move it up because I have this event, and I want to make sure I, I give you the time. So uh, we'll be spending an hour with John Mazalak, and you will be able to listen to that on October 23rd. So, my advice is subscribe to the Tim McKernan Show podcast on iTunes, whatever podcast platform you use, 
and it will automatically pop up into your phone and you can listen to it whenever you want starting on Monday, October 23rd. I want to make sure we thank James Carlton and his agency of State Farm, the James Carlton Agency, and Ryan Kelly, thehomeloanexpert.com for their sponsorship of the podcast. And thank you to my producer, John Seymour, the Seamaster, for all of his work in going into this, and you, the listener, for tuning in to another edition of The Tim McKernan Show. Looking forward to bringing you John Mazzella coming up on Monday, October 23rd. Thanks for listening.